Ladies and gentlemen, Euclids and Ketters, welcome back to another episode of the Crit Lives Within podcast. I am Many Meats, author, IT guy, junior member of the site Crit Team, and your host for tonight's episode. The date of this recording is July the 16th, 2019. I'm one day behind, unfortunately. This could not be helped. But uh, I was planning to record over the weekend so I could have this out right on schedule. However, I had the very sudden and unexpected need to uh, go car shopping all day Saturday. Uh, that's taken care of. Could not be helped. Uh, but we're here now. Long story short, we've climbed back up onto the horse and we're only one day late. Last time I fell off of the schedule, it was a three-week recovery time. So, net improvement. Just as a quick reminder, the format of this show is a short selection of a single skip, which we take a deep dive into and open up the hood on its grammar, its tone, the concept, and its execution. I'm looking for pieces that are positively rated, but generally under plus 30 in net votes. And I'm also looking for pieces that don't have a ton of feedback or opinions posted on them. However, since I make the rules, I'm free to make exceptions to these, especially in the case of SCPs that I find highly interesting or SCPs that prove to be very controversial. The plan for this podcast is to give you something you can listen to over 30 minutes or less. And this is the sort of feedback I would be looking to give to any member of the site that I was going to do a full crit for as part of my site crit team duties. I recommend you give the article that we're going to be talking about either a read or a skim or read through it with me as we talk about it because I'll be jumping around a little bit and I'm not going to be reading the piece verbatim. That said, let's get this rolling. Today I have selected for us SCP-4825 titled Like a Lake Lake, Bake a Bake Cake. And this was written by Radioactive Rads. It's an interesting title to be sure. Immediately it makes me curious about the contents and the context. So uh, I can see how somebody would side-eye a kind of word puzzle like that, but this one intrigues me. As I open the piece, I can see that we have Wodenaz's classification bar. Um, it's a module. I love to use this myself. It's replaced uh, the one that's in the style guide for me personally. Highly recommend you give it a look and include it in your articles as a header. We have a safe class object in this picture, what looks to be some kind of an office or waiting room chair. Uh, looks like it's made out of wood with leather seat and back. It is captioned SCP-4825 upon recovery. So we're promised that the SCP is some piece of furniture or something in that vein. I do want to comment right away that the formatting here appears to possibly be broken. Uh, the picture is too far up and it's clipping the separator between the header and the containment procedures. Usually this happens if you don't put a uh, double break under the header or you can use um, wiki.has has an operator for at symbol at symbol space at symbol at symbol and uh, that will give you the same effect. Um, really minor change. I'm not going to make it because I don't know if this was intentional or not. It could be. It's not a clear thing like grammar. So into the meat. We are cited in the very short containment procedures that are just two sentences long Individuals terminated by SCP-4825 are to be declared missing in media outlets, and official searches are to be discontinued in six months. 
So right away an expectation is set that this chair makes people go missing somehow, and we apparently need to tell the public when these people do. The wording here is not ideal for me, um, the ending part of that phrase, are to be discontinued in six months. I am taking this to mean that we can search for them for six months and then we have to end it. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure why we would exert this level of control. Um, presumably, given we contain the SCP and this is a safe class, we know what happens to them. If we're going to let the cat out of the bag about the people being missing, then I'm not sure why we would care how long that they look. I'm guessing they're not going to be found. And if we need to let people search as part of containment, then why is this thing safe? Uh, that would be wrong. Either way, there is something here that is making me question the conclusion already. Let's keep it going, uh, because that is actually the end of the Conprox. It's incredibly short. We go on to describe SCP-4825 as a wooden chair with leather cushions. So that jives nicely with the picture. People that sit on the chair combust along with anything else they have on them. There's a bit of a quirk here. That line actually reads, when a human sits on SCP-4825, they will combust along with items being worn or held by them, traces of dust. I don't get that last phrase hanging on there, traces of dust. Um, I'm not sure if a word was omitted and the author meant to say including traces of dust. Uh, or into traces of dust. The intent is unclear because I'm not sure how we'd know that traces of dust a person had on them um, were able to combust or were combusted. Uh, I don't know. I, I think maybe they mean to say they turn into a pile of dust. We then note touching with body parts and hands doesn't count. You apparently have to full-on sit on this thing, and that's really the end of its anomalous properties. It's a chair that... Uh, Makes people combust if you sit on it. It was discovered in Miami when the area was flagged for a high volume of disappearances. A bunch of people went into POI 1412's RV and they just didn't come out. When we cornered this guy, the resident, uh, I'm going to presume it's the resident of POI 1412, who is apparently named Muke Ripbone, uh, which is a heck of a name, but uh, this is Florida, so who knows. He sat on the chair and he self-terminated himself by the combustion property of the chair. So this POI understood what the chair could do and uh, used it on himself rather than be captured. This POI has left us a pretty full journal that we have singled out 12 separate entries to attach to this article. Before I move on from here, I just want to double back to the part where this article says civilians were found to enter the RV but not to leave. I get that this part is a pretty short bridge to get us to the meat of the article, uh, the journal entries, but this just feels incomplete and reductive to me. There's no real explanation on how this is correlated, no explanation for why we're watching this RV, how we gathered that eight people went in and didn't come out, why are we watching all these people go in and not come out, what crossed the line to make us finally check this out? Stuff like that. Um, this is just really bare bones. It's incredibly factual. Um, I'm maybe concerned about patterns of behavior. If I put myself in the shoes of a researcher here, what this person did to get noticed. I don't think simply saying a lot of people went missing, so we started looking is good enough. 
The Comprox and Description are a combined three paragraphs, and one of those three paragraphs is this discovery entry. So this is incredibly lean for an SCP. There are several ways that this can go when you take it upon yourself to condense action and build up lines like this. I don't want to diverge too far because I could go on for half an hour about this alone, but that's something to be aware of when you condense action. Yes, you are turning the knob up on what's there intensity-wise, but you're also introducing the problem where if you slip on your action and your pacing, or if you fall far enough where you lose the reader's attention, you have to work very hard in the space that you have left to earn that back. Um, you have to accept the risk of a reduced space if you're also going to try to take advantage of it. And that's just something to keep in mind. Okay, let's do addenda time. These addenda all take place in 2003, and it looks like they start in May of that year. This is our first appearance of a dateline, and that's fine to this point. I don't think the articles needed it or would have benefited from it. The first entry declares that a doctor wants this subject, this POI, to journal their feelings. Uh, what doctor is in this instance uh, is not clear. Uh, not sure if it's a health checkup or if this is a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I think some extra clarity here might have added something more to empathize with early on, but that's just me. What I do want to point out here is that there are a couple of standalone expletives an F-bond and, and a damn it hanging out at the very end. Uh, people don't really write like this from my experience, except, you know, in like messengers and stuff like that. And I don't personally enjoy when people try to treat journals like a direct copy of, you know, your thoughts out loud and then you just put them on paper. Uh, the mere act of physically writing a thing out slows down your uh, thoughts and your words and makes you order them and put them out a little more clearly, rather than just mirroring what's going through your head a mile a minute. Um, and you know, those bursts in your head can certainly contain expletives, but it's, I think I would find this section a little more personally approachable if the expletives were used a little more sparingly. Um, they just seem crass. It's possible, certainly, that a person could write like this just strikes me as a cheap way to try to tell us that somebody's volatile or emotions are happening right here. Uh, you know, it's a little lazy and unrefined. I would encourage you to be very careful about things like this um, because they tend to blur the show and tell line um, a little too much for a technical document. Uh, even though we're quoting somebody else, we still have to keep the uh, headspace of the whole piece in mind. The second entry is two days later, and it tells us that something was sprayed, quote-unquote, on the side of a package that showed up as his house. We don't know what the size of the package is, but apparently it was big enough to contain a chair. And we don't know precisely what sprayed means. But if this is spray paint, this is a huge phrase to have spray painted on a box. It says, advancing humanity one at a time. This phrasing is a little strange, but I believe that it's intentional. Um, I think it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek. They're talking about a single person, and presumably it's this POI that's been selected. So I'm fine with this right now, but like I said, this is a ton of letters to spray paint onto a box. I'm not really sure 
what the setup here is, but it strikes me as awkward. The latter part of the note says that it came with some instructions and the author of the journal, this POI, calls them mumbo jumbo crap. I'm curious why we chose to go shorthand here when he verbatim clips two lines from this package from this passage already. It's a curious application of selective uh, shorthand. Maybe we could have had a note that the pamphlet is paperclip to this page or something. This just feels incomplete and a little too deliberate. Um, like we've hand chosen bits of information that are important to the story for this guy to just recite and he conveniently hand waves the rest. Um, I don't feel like a lot of characters getting established yet. A day later, a loan shark barges into this POI's house and it basically tries to extort him. He thinks he's won and the POI says, okay, I'll get your money. And the loan shark sits down on the chair and he presumably combusts. Uh, there's a line here and I don't really, I don't really get it. He, the line is quote, poof, he was gone. According to the description of this SCP, the chair makes people combust. That's neither subtle nor commonplace that I think a person would nonchalantly just say, oh, he poofed. This would legitimately be a human being catching on fire in front of you and being consumed by those flames to the point that their bones and flesh turn to ash. And we just truncate that to poof. So this is a huge weakness in the piece for me. Um, this is really the spot where I felt the the momentum just suck out of this thing completely. Um, it's possible that you're trying to make this guy come across as nonplussed deliberately um, by such a horrific thing because he's decided to use this to his advantage rather than be grossed out. Uh, but that's not coming across with either word choice or characterization, because the horror here is totally unaddressed. We're not saying that this is great. We're not saying this is awful. This is just a really factual thing, and this man has just gone, oh, hey, cool. Glad there's no witnesses. Uh, four days later, we discover he's used this on several other loan collectors. He's inviting them in and telling them he'll take, he'll uh, get them their money, and they take a seat while he fishes for it, and poof, they're gone. Burnt out. This would hit a lot harder if the above stuff was set up. If there was some eureka moment where we could see him find his salvation in this piece. Um, if we could, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, hallelujah, I can be free of my debts. Anything like that, there's no really um, overt dawning realization I mean, we can see it in his actions. He's elected to use this to save his own hide. But um, I would rather, since we have a journal anyway, we might as well write out um, that side of this and give that a chance to breathe. We then go nearly a month, and the POI says he's feeling a lot better, his stresses are down, he's feeling motivated, stuff like that. Just a quick little note that he feels like he's doing a lot better. Five more days go by, and we discover that he's been laid off. So shortly on the heels of saying life's great, he gets sucker punched. He, and he doesn't know how he's going to make it. Apparently, a co-worker named Thomas screwed him over, and he resolves in this passage to bring Thomas over to the chair and uh, settle the score. This passage does feel appropriate for the character, but it's a little difficult to read. 
I'm not sure how to break this one down because the whole thing just isn't working for me. Um, except the point to take away from it where this guy is devolving. He's uh, taken something that was something of a lifesaver for him, and he's using it a bit more callously. He has resolved to settle a personal score. Admittedly, uh, somebody costing you your job is not a small slight, but this is a bit above a loan shark is you know, here to break your legs if you don't pay him. This isn't um, this isn't on the same moral footing as something like that. So nearly a week goes by, putting us on June 16th, 2003. The POI reports he has a new job and the loan sharks are leaving him alone now. Uh, and he's also discovered that animals don't trigger the chair. Uh, apparently just people and just sitting. It would be nice if we could get a little bit more info on the sharks leaving him alone. Um, it, it could just be an exercise left to the reader, because uh, what's presented to us is that he may be giving, given breathing room because he's doing better, he's making money, he's paying things down. Uh, but the other side of this is he could have breathing room because he's killing everybody, and nobody wants to go screw with him anymore because people who go screw with him don't come back. Uh, can't be sure, and um, I could see a scenario where the lack of that setup, um, where, where not lack of that setup, where you don't come out right and say it in this piece would do it um, a lot of good, but without the setup to get there, this just feels like another um, kind of incomplete characterization. Uh, and about another 10 days goes by, and our POI overhears a woman in the neighborhood at some kind of a community get-together. Um, this woman says that people go into his RV, but they don't come out. Uh, he's freaked out about this, this nosy woman. He gets angry, and he resolves that she's got to go to the chair, too. And there's some mention here about a kid that I don't... Uh, I'm not sure who this kid is or what they have to do with it, but it sounds like he resolves to take both of them to the chair. About another two weeks go by, taking us into July. The POI has been going to the gym, and he's uh, trying to diet. For the first time, we see that the POI is having positive thoughts about other people, as he's opining about connecting with what his family's up to and reconnecting about them. Uh, so we see the positive change in his life after his murder spree. About two more weeks go by, and apparently he brought a girl home, but while he was preparing to uh, do what people do in the privacy of their home sometimes, he uh, was off doing something else, and this woman sits down in the chair. So poof, up in uh, combustion she goes. He was doing well, but he's devolving again as he contemplates murdering all his friends who saw her leave with him um, to cover up the fact that she went to his house and isn't coming out. And he takes this opportunity to remind himself that he is not a bad person and he's just doing what he has to do. Another two weeks pass, and this journal entry, he declares that he has won and there are no more witnesses. So uh, that's nice and ominous. Another ten days goes by. He states he's been promoted at his new job. He remarks that he's come home and the same folks that sent him 
the chair, that box that had the chair in it, have left a note for him stating that he's free of his disease and he does not need the chair anymore. So it seems like there are some kind of ass-backwards motivational paratech company. Um, this furniture shows up and it comes into people's lives and somehow they're improved? I'm not sure. He remarks that he's never been happier, so they must be right about this product being able to advance humanity one person at a time. It's possible that this company sends this chair out with the knowledge that the person who gets it could just have a seat on it and go up in flames. Uh, I think that maybe, uh, at least to me, the unwritten implication here is that they're very fine with that. The person can either understand the properties of the chair and use it to their advantage or become an unwitting victim. Uh, it's not really explored beyond that. But uh, I don't necessarily think it needs to be. The motivations of this company are a good thing to leave as speculative. That um, That's the final log where he receives this note. And then sometime after that, the Foundation is aware of the missing people and they come in and he self-terminates by using the chair. So that's the end of the article. From there, um, in the timeline... You know, we do that, We he terminates, we recover the SCP, and the circle's complete. One thing I'm immediately wondering about recounting here is this missing persons count. Eight seems, uh, eight's the number that was stated in the discovery part, and that seems like it might be low. We have the first loan shark, and then we probably have three or four total loan sharks based on the language. Uh, then we have that Snoopy woman and quote-unquote some kid, which should bring us up to five or six. And then Thomas, his work friend. And then the woman that he brought home. And then we have this vague statement that there are no more witnesses, which if I'm to connect the dots from his previous entry about people seeing him leave with this woman, I don't know, we maybe have to tack three or four more people onto this list. So we're looking at a dozen or more folks that he's chaired, if not more, over the two months or so that he's had the skip. And one thing that recurs to me as I read this is the level of paranoia about people's whereabouts. I totally get that a POI might actually be paranoid, but without that paranoia, uh, people just don't really think like this. If I saw my friend take a girl home from the bar... I'm just not just going to watch for her to, one, go into my friend's house, and then, two, leave that friend's house. That's just not something that gets tracked by the outside world unless you happen to be his roommate. Maybe the next time you'll see him, you'll ask how it went. You could just lie and say, great. Um, or, you know, nobody's going to come up to you and ask to see a logbook of all the guests that have come in and out of your house and making sure they've signed in and out. So I feel like this element of the story is really contrived, although it transforms into a believable paranoia by the end. Uh, by the point the POI is killing everyone under the sun just to cover up little things, I'm buying it. But before that, I'm not. Um, and there's nothing in the formal write-up of the SCP that seems to declare that there's any compulsion affecting the owner of the chair. Uh, etc. Nothing like that. So um, it's strange to me that we're 
kind of forced into thinking like this. I hate to double up on this point again, but just with the missed date, um, you know, I could I could just say we weren't a good fit and I won't be seeing her again and nobody would probably ever ask about her again. But instead, there's this grand conspiracy of accountability. And likewise, this neighbor woman who apparently is blabbing that people go into his house but don't come out. I don't I don't understand that sentiment at all. Uh, people don't work like that. And I feel she's explicitly making this comment just for the author's needs rather than doing a human thing. I very much understand that there are busybody people who will watch who comes in and out of your house. Uh, but this just isn't set up believably to me. You could get over this by talking about the cars that are left parked out in front of his house. That's literally all you would have to do is just one sentence that there's like five cars in front of this guy's RV and none of them belong to him. The keys would have burned up with the body uh, per the description, so there's no reason to think that he can just ditch these cars. They'd have to get towed or something, and that would be easy uh, to tie all this stuff together. Uh, instead, this is about 70 to 80% of a good idea. It's not packaged that great as evidenced by the sizable holes in several parts of the story. But what this piece does have going for it is it does have very easy readability and a somewhat familiar, easy-to-enjoy premise that shows us the kind of, um, I guess we can almost classify this as a comedy of errors style thing, where this guy backdoors into a better life by killing off a ton of people, and then he has to kill more people for the conspiracy, and how all that cycles together and plays. I like the premise, and there's promise here, but this one just should have had more eyes on the draft to find these plot holes so these things could be tied together. It's a no vote for me at this time, and I think most people are agreeing with that stance based on the votes and vote numbers. However, there is a path where this article could gain my vote. Overall, it's at a plus 12 right now as of the time of my recording, and there aren't a tremendous number of votes. It looks like there's uh, 22 up and 10 down, so 32 total, and that's a fairly mixed ratio that feels appropriate to me based on what I've just shared. So, Radioactive Rads, good luck to you if you make any edits with your piece. You're certainly not required to. This is just one dude on the internet's opinion, and I get one vote just like everybody else. So, friends, I'll see you again on July 30th for the next set. I have a camping trip that week, but I should be able to get an episode live before I leave. Um, based on a long conversation I had in the SCP Declassified Discord chat, um, in particular with Uncle Nicolini, who I talked to about a number of things. I'm going to kind of break my own format and try a successful piece next time and just see how things go. I have some concerns that um, a lot of articles that hang around in that kind of under 30 range have a number of things in common with them that keep them there. And I'm worried that for the sake of the longevity of this podcast, I might be better served to uh, mix in or consider talking about successful skips um, that are skips that do something in new and innovative ways that aren't constrained by a lack of votes and a lack of feedback. I think there's plenty of merit in talking about pieces that do weird things really well and everyone could benefit from examining those too. So I'm going to try that in episode four, which will be coming out at the end of July. 
So until that time, this has been Many Meats for Crit Lives Within. <laughs>